Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. I'm Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, the impact it has on us, how we respond to it, how we can exceed the expectations and limitations of this world, in essence, how we can level up and live lives that serve a higher purpose. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. It is August 10th. Happy Monday to everyone. Um, For those of you joining us again, uh, thank you for being with us. For those of you, this is your very first time. This is the Transcend Human podcast, and we're in the middle of a series called Controversy Theory. So if you would like to um, go back to the beginning of this series... Um, just go back to CT01, which will be the, the first episode of Controversy Theory. Or if you're like, oh, I don't even know what this uh, entire episode is about, or this entire podcast for that matter, um, you can always go all the way back to the beginning. Um, and that first episode will give you an idea of why Transcend Human was started. And uh, you'll be able to jump in from there. But let's begin. Uh, for those of you who have been around for a while and know kind of how we format the the episodes, let's jump into a minute of transparency. Today we're going to call it Making Memories. Um, so I was thinking the other day, there are, you know, there are just many stages of life, right, between birth and death. And what I've learned moving through many of them uh, is that they go by way quicker than we realize. Uh, you know, when you're in a stage of life, you can kind of get tunnel vision and you're only really aware of what's around you in the here and now. And, you know, sure, there's good days and positive experiences, but far too often when we're in a stage of life, we get bogged down uh, with the stress of life, the bad things that happen, uh, you know, the amount of things you have to get accomplished. Um, You know, basically things that are happening that you didn't want to happen or you know, the way that you dreamed about this stage being, um, you realize that it really isn't quite like that. And what I wish I could do is go back and tell my previous self, um, you know, just a few things like enjoy it, enjoy every moment that you have, find humor and joy, even in difficult things, value each stage, do your best. And when it's over, put it to bed and let it rest in peace. Then you'll always have the memories Uh, and you won't have any regrets. So for me, you know, there are some regrets, uh, not at every stage, but there are some regrets. Um, You know, I regret, I regret the years of my life when I kind of checked out. um, And there was uh, way too much drinking, too much television, too much living inside my own head. Uh, But, but luckily, that isn't the entire story. Um, you know, there were stages where we took infants to movie theaters and and we, you know, coached our kids in soccer and baseball and hockey. And there were years at the lake house teaching kids how to water ski and, and eating Dairy Queen every night. Um, and then there's, you know, the stage we're in right now, a stage that nobody saw coming, a stage that was kind of forced upon us by the global pandemic. Um A stage for us, which means, you know, all five of us are getting to be together again. A stage we never really planned we would get, uh, where we get to experience more time together than, you know, as a complete family uh, than we thought we would get. 
We get to hang out with our kids' friends from time to time, and we get to take, uh, you know, short trips here and there and just spend that time together, quality time. I'm a little sad, you know, when I, when I look back at all those life stages, um, I'm a little sad that I, I didn't have this knowledge back then, right, at, as to how important each stage would be. And that I probably screwed up some of those stages because I didn't realize that, right? That I, I didn't realize the importance of each one at the time. But uh, now that I do, I'm, I'm working really hard not to make that mistake again. And if, if you're a, young, a lot younger than my wife and I, and you're just diving into some of these stages with family and with kids, then my advice for you is to learn this quickly. Uh, you know, be able to see these facts in the moment so that you can make each moment count. Um, before I before I finish, I also want to give you a pro tip as you experience setbacks in the stage that you're in. Uh, I'm not sure where we heard this, but it just stuck, and, and now we say it all the time. And the phrase is, we're making memories. And the funny thing about this phrase is that it isn't really used when things are going smoothly, Right? We, we would never say, uh, we're making memories as we walk through the, the front gates at Disneyland. Um, you don't really have to, right? Because the good things that you do and the good experiences that you have get stuck in your memory anyway. Uh, you know, when you look back on your life, it's pretty easy to recall all of the cool things and all the fun things that you did. But it's the bad things, it's the difficult things, the scary things that you, that you experienced that really need to be reframed in order for them to become part of your memory. Uh, I think your brain just does this thing where it naturally wants to forget the bad things. It wants to put them in a, a dark closet in the back of your mind and shut the door and lock it, right? So that you don't have to deal with those things. But what if you were able to reframe some of those bad things um, and actually turn them into a good memory? Now, I'm not talking about somebody dying and then, you know, just flippantly making a good memory out of it. Death is never a good thing. And there are many other experiences that, you know, are just, there is just nothing good about them. Um, you know, but in, in the whole illustration of someone dying, you know, maybe there's, uh, something happen that happens at the gathering at the, the celebration of life ceremony that gets the entire crowd who's there to laugh, even in their sorrow, and that's what, I, that's what we mean by making memories. Uh, a, f a final illustration, this might help kind of flesh it out. So my family and I were, when we decided to move across the country and uproot our family and, and go from Indiana to California, uh, we, we decided to do it slow, right? So we, we were going to take two weeks, drive out, um, stop at places along the way, and just, you know, enjoy our time together. Uh, so I think we were, you know, we, we did the first leg pretty quickly, got through uh, Iowa, Nebraska, some of those states. And uh, and then we went up into uh, South Dakota. We did the uh, Mount Rushmore, the Badlands, some of those things. And then as, as we came into Wyoming, uh, our first stop in Wyoming was Devil's Tower. Um, now, I had been there before when I was a kid, but it had been a really long time. And I I had forgotten just how desolate you know, the area is, how far it kind of takes to get out there. And so we were, we were running low on gas and, um, but we, we just kept going, kept going and, oh, it'll be fine. You know, we got all the way out there 
uh, just as the sun was going down and we were able to, to see Devil's Tower, take some pictures, you know, walk around on the rocks a little bit and, um, and then we were done. So we, we jumped back in the van and we started heading out looking for a gas station. Uh, you know, after a while, the light had been on for, for a good long time. And I'm like, wow, this is, you know, I'm not really finding anything. The, the, the one gas station that probably would have been open um, at the little junction right there near the, the Devil's Tower had been closed, right? It was down, I think it was too late at night or something, and so they just had shut it down. So I, you know, a little getting a little nervous, I, I switched the... Uh, the display over to miles remaining just to to kind of keep an eye on it and I realized you know we're down it we're basically at zero and then the number starts going into the negative and you know we got negative 9 10 11 12 and you know I think it it started to bother my wife it started to bother the kids the kids were kind of like what are we doing what you know how what are we going to do and uh and it got, you know, it got pretty scary there for a minute because there literally was no headlights for miles. There were no house lights. It was just dark as far as you could see. And, you know, we're frantically trying to, to use Google Maps to try to find a uh, town or find a, a gas station that's close. And nothing was coming up on Google Maps that was uh, anywhere in the, in the 5 to 10 mile range. So eventually I found a house uh, in the middle of nowhere and I saw a car out in front and a family kind of uh, getting out of their car, getting ready to go back in the house. So I drive up and I just said, you know, hey, do you guys have any extra gas? Um, you know, we need just, you know, even just a couple of gallons to get us to the next, uh, the next town or whatever. And uh, the lady was like, no, I'm sorry. And, um, but I saw a, a riding lawnmower sitting there and I was like well you know do you think I could try siphoning some gas out of the, the lawnmower you know even just a gallon or two and she's like I guess if you want and so you know she went she found a, a hose or something and um, after 30 minutes of trying I think I, I got a couple gallons out of it and it was enough to get us on our way um, but it was it was quite the situation and you know to this day it's, uh, you know, we talk about that and we laugh about that because it was a scary situation. But it was one of those things where we all now look at each other and we say, that was us making memories. So, you know, when you when you or your family, you look back on a bad situation and, and laugh, um, it's because you experienced it together, right? In, in this situation at Devil's Tower, uh, it was a bad situation. Like we were a little nervous. We were scared. Um, but we experienced it together, just the five of us. We, we have that connection. It was a memory that we made together. All right. Uh, let's move into our content for today. Uh, you know, last week we walked through the final, kind of the final wrap-up episode where we talked about the uh, the fact that there are two outcomes, four categories, and many lifestyles. And uh, this week, we transition a little bit, and we talk about the fact that everything we experience in life comes from the controversy. So we talk about the human condition again, 
and how the human condition is controversy related. We're going to walk through a few things. We're going to talk about the human condition, uh, why human disturbance is a little bit different. We're going to talk about labels, labels, labels. Uh, we're going to talk about the treatment tripod. And then we're going to wrap things up with who can we blame for this? Number one, the human condition. So this week we come full circle, right? We return to a conversation about the human condition, which is a concept we introduced way back at the very beginning of the Transcend Human podcast. And then obviously we talked about again uh, when we started the Controversy Theory series. Uh, it was one of the first concepts we dove into in that series as well. Uh, in fact, you know, the subtitle right on the Transcend Human website is How You Can Rise Above the Human Condition. So this is us coming full circle. Hopefully, you know, as we walk through the series called Controversy Theory together, um, I hope it has become obvious to you that this concept we defined as the human condition uh, was all set in motion by the controversy, right? The human condition is controversy related. It, there's no other way around it. It didn't come from anywhere else. I mean, it's a direct result of the sin virus, which was found in Lucifer's heart, which led to war in heaven, which led to, you know, Satan being banished to earth, which led to us being infected with a sin virus when we chose uh, Satan's uh, little plan in the Garden of Eden. So this led to the human condition, which is what we are all born into and which we all must face throughout our lifetime. So quick recap. Uh, we define the human condition as the totality of the human experience as seen in these three areas. Our life journey from birth to death, major milestones, things like childhood, education, graduations, relationships, marriage, divorce, child, uh, children, retirement, etc. Um, and then everyday life experiences thrown in there in between, right? So, you know, everything from interactions with people at stores to uh, more traumatic things like car accidents or, or people that we love passing away, things like that. So it's our life journey. Two, it's our medical condition. So this is, you know, anything medical that you will face, you know, from birth to death and all of the uh, issues that that causes in your life um, for good or for bad. And then finally, your mental health, right? Your, your mental health condition, the way you think, feel, and behave and respond to life um, and all of the experiences you go through, as well as the medical conditions you face. So that's the totality of the human experience, your life journey, your medical conditions, and your mental health throughout your life. So the human condition is our state of existence, if you will, right? It's life as you know it. Uh, when people use the phrase, it is what it is, they're, they're really referring to the fact that some things happen regardless uh, if you want them to or not. And though we do have some level of control over our response to the human condition, the condition itself is largely, largely made up of things that happen to us, both positive and negative. So we've probably spent a lot more time focused on the bad things, uh, mainly because controversy theory was written for hurting people, not for happy people. Uh, it was written, you know, to help people identify uh, where bad things come from, why we experience them, and then what, how we can respond to those things in our life. And when we discussed the negative side of the human condition, we were able to clump all of those things into three buckets, right? We had human nature, which comes through birth, 
being born with a sin virus and being born with that bent in that direction. Next, there was human suffering, uh, which is caused by the workings of the sin virus through us, through others, and even through the, uh, the physical environment. And then the final one was human disturbance, uh, which is caused when the sin virus impacts our behaving and our thinking and our feeling. So number two, why human disturbance is different. So one of the things we learned out of these three buckets, right, that there is one that we have a higher level of control over than the others. Uh, human nature and human suffering both seem to be things that happen to us. Uh, but when it comes to human disturbance, uh, we start to have a level of control over the impact the sin virus has on us and our functioning. We said that human disturbance affects three major areas, right? Our thinking, our behaving, and our feeling. And out of those three, we have direct control over only two of them, which is our thinking and our behaving. So we can choose to think about something a certain way, and we can choose how we want to behave. But we can't choose our feelings. Feelings are things that just hit us at 100 miles an hour, no matter whether we want them to or not. However, we talked about uh, the fact that we have indirect control over the feelings because we can regulate them by changing the way we think or the way we behave. So this is why human disturbance is so much different, because we get to choose. We are given this thing called freedom of choice, which is one of our weapons in the controversy. So think about how powerful this is in your life, right? Here's a simple illustration. Uh, a bully starts in on you the first day of kindergarten. You know, little comments, poking you, making fun of you in front of others, all things you can't control. So you have two options, right? First, uh, you can return fire, keep things going, bully back, and this, this will progress things, often escalating the situation uh, to a potentially dangerous encounter. Or you can choose to ignore the bully and show him or her that it isn't going to work on you. The bully may continue to chip away for a while, but in the end they move on because they aren't getting the reaction they're looking for. Now, obviously, this is the best case scenario, right? And there are times when that does not work as well as, as I just explained. But still, it's, this is what we tell our kids, right? Ignore it and they'll stop. And when it does work, it's powerful because you get a taste of what it means to be in control. The control you have over your life when you exercise your freedom of choice and push back against a negative element within the human condition. In the book, Conscience-Driven Therapy, this becomes one of the main themes, an overarching piece of the puzzle, learning how to leverage your freedom of choice in order to address human disturbance in your life. It's easier said than done, of course, um, as it is with anything good in life. It's complicated. It requires practice in order to get better at it. But in the end, uh, it's worth the struggle. Not only are you able to rise above the human condition, but you are then able to help others do the same and push back against the darkness that exists in the world. Number three, labels, labels, labels. So psychology is the study of the psyche or the human mind. And when you study something uh, that is part of your life's work, you typically research, propose, theorize, hypothesize, test, experiment, document, and eventually make statements of fact about the things that you study. And in this process, a lot of documentation has been done about the problems or issues or neuroses 
found in the people that they studied. Uh, these documented issues were eventually published and accepted by the scientific community as fact uh, and, you know, ways of categorizing, defining, and labeling people based on their thinking, behaving, and feeling. And this little book, uh, this little list of neuroses uh, became a manual called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorder Disorders, or what we call the DSM. Uh, right now, I believe it's in the fifth revision, so it's referred to as the DSM-5. Now, before I completely bash this book and discuss, you know, some of the negative impacts it can have on a person, we need to discuss the fact that it is very helpful. So the DSM-5 exists for a reason. Just like any other medical or scientific work, it, um, it accepts the fact that problems exist and it attempts to define them. Right? It, attempt, it attempts to define and document human disturbance, something which um, was not well understood at the time. And this documenting has helped people understand it better. It creates a common language uh, within the medical and mental health field, making it easier for two clinicians to work with the same patient or client. Uh, it helps to define the problems being solved in treatment and what needs to change in order for treatment to be successful. And yes, there's a financial aspect to it as well. Um, a diagnosis is required in order to get an insurance company to pay for treatment. So that said, um, you know, there are obviously, like I said, positive things about this type of work. However, there is also a dark side that comes along with diagnosing or with labels. Um, you know, these documented diagnoses have become labels that are slapped on people. Uh, they are also labels that people have slapped on themselves. And the danger is that once you have a label, it's very difficult to get it off of yourself. And we've seen how dangerous labels can be. Back in the 80s and 90s, numerous kids were diagnosed with a little thing called ADHD, right? And they were placed on medications like Ritalin and Adderall. And looking back, the scientific community, the medical community, can now see that many were overdiagnosed which led to kids being labeled as troublemakers, kids choosing to stop working in school because there was no point, kids taking strong medications that they may not have needed, kids being stigmatized because of the label with teachers and other students. And in the worst scenarios, you know, kids started to view themselves as being damaged or broken in some way. Uh, you know, kids feeling like they were not capable of performing normal activities. And at the end of the day, um, you know, we can't change the fact that the DSM-5 is here. It's here to stay. We, we have to live with it. So we need to be sure that we use it in the way that it was intended to be used. Labeling symptoms and behaviors, not labeling people. And not allowing people to label themselves. Another important thing to understand about the DSM is um, it is only capable of describing observable, observable symptoms, right? It, it can't identify where the problem came from, and it doesn't really tell you how to resolve the problem. Again, this is why it can be so dangerous. It's a book that can tell you exactly what's wrong with you, but not why or how to solve the problem. Number four, the treatment tripod. So for years, uh, you know, people were experiencing human disturbance. Um, they were treated in ways that uh, we now view as inhumane, subhumane, and often barbaric. Um, you know, when you when you look back through the the history of mental health, illness, and treatment, it's pretty scary. 
Um, I, I put a few links in the show notes if you're interested in, in kind of reading through some of this. And I won't go into great detail here in the podcast, but, you know, there were some crazy things that people did thinking that they were going to help fix a person of a mental health problem. So things like uh, trephination, which was basically removing small chunks of the brain, thinking that that would, you know, help help the client or the patient uh, feel better. Things like coma therapy, shock therapy, or ECT, uh, bloodletting, uh, the use of asylums, things like that, that just, you know, really dark times when, when we look back at the history of mental health treatment, really dark times. You know, and these were these were all things that we did to people because we didn't fully understand the mental health problem, right? And we really didn't understand what it was or where it came from. Uh, you know, but over time, eventually, and in, in enough study, we started to realize that those things were not being successful. They were just literally masking uh, the problem that existed. Now, before we, we go and get all arrogant and say, oh, thank goodness we don't do that anymore. We're so much smarter today. Uh, we need to understand that there are still some remnants of that stuff that exist here today. You know, they just don't appear to be quite as flagrant or, or as um, barbaric in, in terms of how we, how we interact with people with, with mental health problems. Here's, here's two examples. So one example of a barbaric way of fixing people um, is medication only. So medical doctors and psychiatrists, you know, unfortunately can be pretty arrogant. Um, and, and some of them believe that there's a pill for every ailment. And if that, you know, if they can just figure out the right pharmaceutical concoction, um, you'll be fine. We'll fix you with this, with this medication. But there's nothing more sad than a person on a mind-altering drug for no good reason. Um, you know, any, any type of misdiagnosis by the doctor and a person is on a strong set of medications that they don't need to be on. You know, and the danger is, is just as strong there as it is with some of the more barbaric uh, methods mentioned above. Next would be no medication, just, you know, a little bit off, a little bit crazy forms of therapy. So the opposite is also true. You know, there are times when a medication is the only thing that can help a person stabilize enough to even talk about the situations they're facing. You know, refusing a person this medication because you think that you can therapy the problem out of them is actually just as barbaric. And so the current best practice for treating human disturbance is really a combination of medication and therapy. Uh, you know, two different elements working in tandem in order to help a person get through what they are going through. But controversy theory would suggest that there is one element missing, a third element that would create a tripod approach. Do you know what a tripod is? Uh, if you're a photographer, you should for sure. Uh, a tripod is a device with three legs uh, that come together at the top to hold a camera. Uh, based on the geometric fact that the triangle is the strongest shape that there is, these three legs on the tripod provide a level of stability that you can't achieve with two. So let me illustrate. Ice skating uh, is a fairly complex activity. Uh, you know, we walk with two legs all the time, and people are pretty good at it, right? As long as you have flip-flops on or sandals or um, gym shoes or something, you know, walking on two legs is fine. Uh, 
but put two skates on and it takes an incredible amount of balance and brain power and everything to remain in an upright position. However, give a brand new skate or a hockey stick and there's a good chance that they'll remain upright much longer. Why? It's called the tripod effect because you have three points of contact. And it's this power of three things that, that leads us into this concept I'd like to call the treatment tripod. So let's pretend that working with a person, trying to help them with human disturbance, um, is, is a process that involves three things, right? So using the tripod analogy, let's, let's say leg number one is medical and medication. So there's no getting around the fact that a person's mental health issues can be caused or made worse by an ongoing medical condition. Because of this, we must never begin counseling or therapy without a, having a solid understanding of the medical condition that the person is in or has been through. You know, this includes the use of psychotropic medications, uh, for example, you know, things like schizophrenia, extreme bipolar, depression, anxiety, PTSD, etc. You know, these are all things where, you know, medications have been proven to be helpful in in stabilizing the behavior or the mood uh, to a level to where then other things are, are successful. So very important, leg number one, medical uh, and medication. Leg number two, controversy theory. This is the piece that's left out by most of the mental health professionals working today. And obviously, if you're not a Christian or if you don't really have any spiritual beliefs, you know, why would you think to have this element in your practice at all? But controversy theory suggests that this is a crucial piece of the treatment process, understanding the human condition, the big three questions, and the fact that there is a battle going on behind the scenes for your life specifically. And then finally, leg number three, is conscience-driven therapy. Now I say this specifically because conscience-driven therapy dovetails into controversy theory so well, but this is really just traditional forms of therapy uh, that would fall into this category. So, you know, any form of therapy like reality therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, brief solution focus therapy, uh, etc. It's basically talk therapy and it is important. Not only in, uh, you know, questioning and understanding the controversy, but then obviously in you know the action steps of taking what you've learned and applying it to the struggles that you're facing having another person agree with you on things like satan's personalized temptation plans um, that are stacked against you and uh, and working with that person on you know planning for your future and how you're going to combat those things that are that are happening to you in your life so that's it the treatment tripod Leg one, medication and medical uh, attention. Uh, leg number two, controversy theory. And leg number three is traditional therapy. There is, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how much more there is to do with the treatment tripod. But for now, for this episode, you know, just a high level overview of kind of the model that controversy theory views uh, for treating human disturbance. But Obviously, we'll have to wait for another day to really dive into that. So let's move to our final uh, little section here. Number five, who can we blame for this? So let's finish up by playing the blame game. So much fun, right? 
Of course, it sounds funny to say that because we tell people all the time that blame is a dangerous game and that the sooner you start taking responsibility for your role in things, the sooner you will have the upper hand, the sooner you will gain a level of control back over your life. But in this case, there are a few things that we can blame uh, when it comes to understanding human disturbance. There are seven of them, so let's run through these real quick. Number one, genetic and environmental predispositions. So DNA is something that is passed down. We know this, right? So there, because of this, there are medical issues, mental health issues, uh, addictive predispositions, things like that. Even just personality traits are, pers- are passed down from generation to generation due to genetics. Number two, living oblivious to the controversy. So this was uh, leg number two that we talked about above, right? If you, if you live your whole life as if the controversy does not exist, then you won't really see your issues in their true light. Number three, failing to answer one of the big three questions appropriately. So similar to the above, if you don't fully believe that God created you, that he wants to rescue you from the sin virus, and that the antidote to the sin virus means living forever with him in heaven, then you won't really start on the right foundation. Number four, riding the fence. Uh, this really refers to, you know, voting in the eternal election or accepting the antidote to the sin virus. The longer we ride the fence, choosing not to choose, the longer we will experience human disturbance, potentially at a level that is even more difficult than it would be normally after making a decision. Number five, when our conscience is in conflict with our thinking and our behaving. This one is huge, uh, and it's really the, one of the main storylines when jumping into conscience-driven therapy. Human disturbance is a direct result of our conscience telling us to do one thing, but then choosing to think or behave in the opposite way. Number six, failing to achieve sincere worship. So this is another one that people have a hard time understanding. Uh, we talked about it back in the fourth basic assumption, I believe, to be human is to worship. Um, controversy theory suggests that we all have an innate need to worship the creator, right? The one who created us. And this is considered sincere worship. However, um, if we put other things in place of it, things like worshiping sports, money, sex, fame, uh, or even good things like our families, um, you know, we're, we're basically choosing a path that includes human disturbance on some level because those things that we have chosen to worship don't bring back the same level of um, catharsis that that it does to worship our creator. And then finally, number seven, trying to work your way to heaven. So back, you know, back to the whole grace versus works debate, um, controversy theory suggests that accepting the antidote to this virus is the only way to get to heaven. So people who don't believe this and, and try to be good their entire life Um, in order to win their way into heaven, are really fighting a losing battle. And there's nothing more frustrating or human disturbance causing than trying to be good enough for a perfect God. So let's land the plane. This week, ask yourself the following questions. Are you starting to understand the human condition better? If so, uh, do you see how human disturbance is really a byproduct of it and the controversy? And do you see that human disturbance is a little bit different because we have some level of control over it? Next, have you been labeled before? Or have you labeled yourself? 
If so, this has to change. You are you, and that's exactly what God created you to be. A mental health diagnosis is something that you might be dealing with, but it is not you. What are your thoughts on the treatment tripod? Do you believe in this approach? Do you think it could be helpful to help you overcome some of the things you're dealing with? And finally, in looking through the list of things that we can blame for the human disturbance, uh, the only one we really have no control over is the first one, right? I mean, we can't control our genetics and our environmental predispositions. But aside from that, are there other items on the list that could apply to you? If so, what could you do this week to start the process of changing that in your life? Are you riding the fence? Um, Is your conscience in conflict with your thinking and behaving? Are you trying to work your way to heaven? Um, Think about those things this week. So that's it. There you have it. Uh, The final basic assumption. I can't believe we're already through the basic assumptions. Um, I've had so much fun walking through these with you. And I want to thank each and every one of you who have kind of come along uh, for the ride and, and joined the journey with me. It's been so much fun. Uh, next week, we're still in the Controversy Theory series, but we're wrapping things up by kind of looking ahead. Uh, we're going to offer an overview of conscience driven therapy, the book that was supposed to follow Controversy Theory. And, uh, you know, now that we understand the human condition and how it impacts human disturbance, you know, what do we do with that? How do we fight back and, and live using the power that is offered uh, through our conscience? So next week is uh, Controversy Theory 16, which is Applying Controversy Theory. As always, it's uh, it's never too late to recommend Trans and Human or Controversy Theory to a friend or family member. Um, obviously, social media is a great place to do that. Um, or uh, ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, things like that. Thanks again for being with us this week. Uh, have a great week ahead, and as always keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com where you'll find ways to contact us and how to access social media channels. If you like the show, you can help us by doing the following. First, tell a few friends about the show. Uh, There's nothing better than word-of-mouth marketing. Second, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, This will make it easier to find the show and encourage others to check us out. Uh, Thanks again for subscribing, and we'll see you next time.